Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, mom of three, and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. In today's episode, Kelly and I talk with Stephanie Smith. Stephanie is a yoga instructor and 22-year Las Vegas resident. Stephanie, known as Smithy, discovered yoga late in her professional dance career when she realized her body wasn't loving the stage life as much as she did. What originally started as a method to strengthen and maintain her body became a deep love of the practice. When she was offered the chance to attend yoga teacher training, she rolled up her mat and leapt in feet first. Training taught her there was so much more to yoga than she ever thought, and she couldn't wait to share the practice with others in a meaningful and approachable way. After completing her yoga teacher training, Smithy became fascinated with the nervous system in relation to grief, trauma, and stress. She dove right into the vital role yoga plays in the process of moving through difficult experiences and rebalancing the nervous system. Today, she loves nothing more than helping others heal, restore, rebalance, and tap into the power of play through the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoy this episode. It was so wonderful talking with Smithy. We've been focusing on the body and we have dropping this week, Jessica Medellin, and she wrote First Moon Manual, and it is about our period and starting your period. And she had collected poems and art and letters from women creating this journal for young women starting their period. At the end of the month, our book club book is The Body Keeps the Score. And so really just talking about our relationship with our bodies. Sometimes when we go through trauma or things happen in the life cycle, it's like we we disconnect our brain from our body. Diet culture has taken over. And in January, everyone's like, New Year's resolution and let's go run a marathon and lose 50 pounds or whatever. And we want to look at it from a loving healing perspective of how can we develop and create a healthy, loving relationship with ourselves and our body. What do you think has brought you here to this moment? Trauma. (laughs) Just a a combination of, of everything. Since I started my yoga teaching journey, which began March of 2020, I started taking a yoga teacher training program. And then once that was done, because of events that had happened in my life immediately prior to starting yoga teacher training, I became fascinated with the human nervous system. And I'm talking about the autonomic side, the side that runs in the background. And I just went down rabbit holes of reading, of gathering knowledge, of taking courses and being fascinated by the information, but then also like really disturbed that I was 43 years old at the time, that at 43 years of age, I hadn't known or been aware of any of this information other than that we had a nervous system. 
right that runs in the back. That's all I knew. And I don't want other people to be in the dark like I was in the dark for 43 years. Like, why don't we know this about our stuff, about our nervous system, about our bodies, about how to sort of reconnect with your body, rewire your nervous system, make it more resilient. So then that kind of led me to where I am now as a yoga instructor who is kind of nervous system heavy in their practice and in their teachings and incorporating that into my teachings. But it did begin with a traumatic event, right? Like I think that we don't ever evolve to our higher selves without that kind of push off the cliff, right? So that's how I ended up. It's a short version of how I ended up where I am in this moment, teaching yoga from the point of the nervous system and also doing a little bit of nervous system resilience coaching here and there when I can. And I I didn't know, this is so funny, right? So I I know you from Pilates Plus Mm -hmm. and you present to me like someone who is so zen and has been like you were out of the womb doing downward dog. <laughs> so I like that you were telling me that you were so new to this. I'm like, yeah. what? Like you just come in like this little, I don't know, just so zen and calm and in tune with herself. So you were a professional dancer? Yes, I was a professional dancer. So I grew up dancing. Obviously, I started at a young age. I think I was six or seven. And then... I went to Collar University in Toronto and I took a fine arts program, majored in dance. Immediately out of that, I began performing overseas on cruise ships. And then I eventually moved here and I've been here for 22 years now. But yeah, I was a professional dancer. And no, I was not Zen out of the womb. A lot of people who have known me for a long time would giggle hearing you say that. Yeah. Because being in tune with myself and where I am now has only happened in the last three years, three and a half years. What I started really di- diving deep into the nervous system in like October 2020. How really young were been... you when you started dancing? Oof. I was like six when I started taking dance lessons. And I stopped dancing professionally when the pandemic happened. That's what retired me, which was fine. I was 43 and ready to retire. I just hadn't, you know, pulled the trigger. That so can be so punishing on your body. Now, I have one daughter and she took dance and the studio that she was at. The woman openly talked about breaking cycles and mm-hmm. how she was treated. And I mean, she was, I would say, abused as a dancer where like they couldn't take water breaks or like yep. or just think like they would be locked in the room. And so were those some of the things that you were exposed to? So I didn't experience anything quite that harsh from my teachers, thankfully. But once I got into the professional world of dance, that's where it became toxic. Usually from the people I worked for, like the producers, and then occasionally fellow cast members could be quite toxic. And I'm not saying that's everyone I worked with. It sure. Usually most of the cast was happy. We had great times, but there's always that those one or two people who are just toxic. But like I said, it was usually the people I worked for, the people running the show, the people, yeah. the producers and stuff. And so that's where the toxicity came in for me, not from my dance teachers, thankfully, but I know that that does 
happen and that does yeah. exist. It's getting better, but it does ex- it does exist. But it sounds like that would be shocking because you'd be like early twenties, dancing twenty mm-hmm. years already at this point, entering the professional field, and then then getting hit. Yeah, with yeah. that and what when you say toxicity, unless you're not comfortable, no, that's fine diving more into it but like what does that look like then what how would that kind of play out it means pitting cast members against each other so constantly being in fear for your job because producers are you know they they have their favorites and then their favorites are no longer their favorites a new favorite comes in and so that causes competition between or can cause competition between cast members never feeling like you're good enough so let's say you're in a show and and you have a solo, right? Like you're doing, you're you're responsible for doing the solo number and you do it for like a year. And then all of a sudden the producers are like, we, we think we want to have somebody else do this. And then you start to doubt yourself, that kind of stuff. New cast members come in and like I said, they're the new favorite. And so then you're questioning whether you're being pushed out the door. And that's a terrible feeling, right? Like yeah. that's your livelihood. So they kind of make it, they kind of make you dependent on them because yeah. you don't leave. You stay in this toxic yeah. environment because you're like, well, I'm only at work for three hours a night. I perform for an hour and 15 minutes. Like, what do I have to complain about? Blah, 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 blah. And then on top of that, like if you're a person, so I am naturally thin. My mother was thin. Her mother was thin. I have excellent genetics that way. I'm incredibly lucky. So I never, on top of any other toxicity from performing, I never had to deal with like the eating disorder, being told that I was too heavy or or whatever. So I was lucky in that regard. But I'm one of, I'm like the 1%, right? So add on to this, this sort of competition that's bred between cast members. And then add on, if you have to be conscious of your weight all the time, right? And I believe, I totally think that's abuse, a mental and emotional abuse there. I Shows that do weigh-ins, I think that's, I really think that's disgusting. Like if I start to look different on stage to you, then maybe we can have a chat, right? But if I look the same, are you, you're really going to give me grief over like weighing two pounds extra? Plus like women's bodies fluctuate a little bit too. Right. But that doesn't Thank you. matter. Thank you. Yeah. But and that's why I think it's an abuse and a control thing. Right. Because mm. instead of seeing how screwed up that is, you just become terrified that you're going to lose your job because you're two pounds overweight, which might be the difference between going to the bathroom and not going to the bathroom. Right. Yeah. Or I just chugged a bunch of water and not chugging a bunch of water. So thankfully, I was exempt from that just from basic genetics. But I have think, watched so many friends yeah. go through the torture of that. And do you think your family of origin gave you skills? So basically, you're a professional athlete, right? And you're in constant competition for your spot. And which is has to just be so yeah. much stress on your mind and body for a long time. Do yeah. you think that your family of origin or teachers or mentors or anything like that, like gave you tools or skills to be able to handle that level of stress? No offense to them. No. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm the oldest child, one, and I am a perfectionist. And again, no offense to any of my teachers. They certainly, my dance teachers certainly didn't, they weren't hard on me in terms of being perfect, but I would say that my parents were a little bit. And I had a great childhood. I had a great childhood, right? Like my, my mother came to like all of our dance competitions. My parents were both super supportive of my dance and everything like that. But I still, being the first child, I, before I even got into dance, my mom wanted me to be perfect, right? And nothing against her. That's, I think, I think just standard with first well, child. There's a lot first child. that plus there's a lot we now know about parenting approaches and things. There's a lot of information out there. Yeah. I, we often joke, not really joke, but like Jess and I, my mom listen, our mom listens to this podcast and, you know, we say <laughs> things like what you're saying and sometimes yeah. more and she's like beating herself. She stopped up. listening because she said, I yeah. feel like I you girls talk about what a terrible parent I was. So I don't want to hear. It. And I, I've told her, mom, I'm not saying we're just saying, looking at this lens, right. That was a trauma mm-hmm. to us. That yeah. was a trauma. And so it impacted us. We're not saying we're saying you did the best you could with what you had. Absolutely. Um, But looking back, that might have not have been a great choice for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so my mom passed away in 2004. So Thankfully, she's not going to listen to this, but maybe supernaturally she'll get back at me. (laughs) The audio will go out. (laughs) Yeah, totally. She'll start like shaking the bed or yeah. But no, I have no ill will resentment. I know that my parents did the best job they could with the tools that they were given from their parents. Right. Right. Like they were wired by their parents. And I'm sure when they had kids, they're like, I'm going to do a better job. I'm not going to do what my parents did. I'm going to do a better job. And they did. They did do a better job. But they didn't have the knowledge that I now have of the nervous system and stuff. And I don't have any kids and I have no plans to have kids. But if I were going to have kids, I now have the better set of tools that my parents handed off to me, plus the tools that I have gathered. So maybe that cycle, no kid gets off scot-free. All of us are traumatized, even with the best upbringings. We all have suffered little traumas. So we don't get off scot-free. No kid does. All we can do is do better for our kids if we have kids. And if we don't, then we pass on the knowledge that we learn in hopes that someone will be like, oh, I want to do this better. Yeah. And tell us more about even your own, like a lot of what you talked about is your own journey of Mm self-discovery. And you know, Jess and I are 18 months apart. We grew up in the same household. We have completely different experiences and different traumas, honestly. Right. And that's a lot of what her and I both have learned on our own journey. I think we're, we're all a work in progress. Right. And how did you, cause some of that, it's so hard as a human to flip the script on the things that are well-worn paths of feelings, um, thoughts or all the things that happen when you face something that you faced off and on over your years and you're like, oh, this is triggering for me. I need to stop it. I know this isn't real. I know I need to. But what are some tools that you've learned as you've gone through this and you talk about the nervous system to help yourself kind of break those cycles, I guess? 
the most important step is to just get to know yourself so deeply. Know your triggers. And if you don't know what they are, learn what they are. Basically, the first step, and this is like one of the first steps in yoga and meditation and trying to clear the mind. And I say that in quotation marks because we're humans. It's impossible to do that is to just notice, is to just become aware of your patterns. It's really hard to change anything if you don't know what you're trying to change, Mm -hmm. right? It's really easy to say, I don't want to be like this anymore. But if you don't know why you're like that, if you don't notice the patterns, if you don't notice the habits in your responses, you can't change anything. So the first thing is to notice, to know yourself so deeply that you can make those changes. For example, I have a father who's, he's got Parkinson's, he's disabled, he lives in an assisted living facility. And every once in a while, he has an emergency situation where he has to go to the ER. And it took me a few ER visits to realize that I get extremely dysregulated. My nervous system goes into fight or flight. I get extremely dysregulated if I am not fed, if I have not slept well, if I don't vent or talk as if I'm frustrated about the event. So now I have a list in my phone. I know how I'm going to react to his emergency. So the first thing is, okay, feed yourself. Have you eaten? Have you eaten? Okay, that's the first thing you do. If you didn't sleep well the night before, well, okay, that's too bad. We'll take a nap later. Feed yourself. Call someone you trust and vent about this before you get to your father so that you can be present for him. You can be relatively regulated for him and that affects his nervous system. And then I can make better decisions for him. So I know those things about myself now. Whereas before I would get a call, they would say he's headed to the emergency room and I would just hop in my car and I'd run over there and I wouldn't even be allowed to see him for like an hour because they don't get like admitted all the paperwork. And I would just sit in the waiting room. So I started to notice that about myself. And then I adjusted and made a list of here's what you do. Because when you're in those fight or flight moments, your logical brain kind of turns off. So I need a checklist so that I make sure to check off as many of these boxes as I can so that I don't get as dysregulated, right? So I don't have, I can have the reaction in my nervous system, but I respond in a different way. I go to that and I've been saying it a million times, but the RAIN method, you know, are you familiar with the RAIN method? I am, I I can't, yeah. Yeah. Recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And I find myself doing that like five times a day (laughs) because I'm like, I'm really pissed off. So I mask all emotions with anger. So I'll be pissed off and I'm like, okay, what's really going on? Okay, I'm going to allow myself to be angry. What's really happening here? Allowing myself to be angry, investigating what's that really about? Oh, okay. And then the nurture piece. A lot of times, People don't know the nurture piece, right? Like, well, what will that be? What will, there's so many ways to say it. We can say like we're flooded. We can say we're heightened. We can say we're triggered, whatever that is. But it's that self-soothing, regulating, whatever you want to call that nurture of being able to know, okay, what do I need to do now? Okay, I know why. I know what's happening. 
And then, you know, these are the things I need. I love that you have a list on your phone. I love the list. Yeah, idea. I have to, right? It's, I it's have sort of to. like, that's where everybody, just you talk about the rain, but like everyone, as one tries to fix these things, you kind of figure out what tools to use. How did you yeah. think about making the list? Like, did you read something on that? Or is that just like a, you realize that? I didn't help? read anything on making the list. I just kind of did it. But the reason I did it was because of the things I learned about the nervous system. And I was like, oh, when I go into extreme fight or flight, my frontal lobe no longer thinks, right? It's offline. It's not responding. Like I can't focus and think and rationalize and talk to my nervous system with words. So when I get into that heightened state, I need to have a list because then my brain knows Look at your list, right? I can think that. You've trained your look brain your a list. little bit to do that. A little bit in yep. those situations. Yep. Look at the list. Don't try to think of what's on the list. Look at the list. Have you eaten? Yes, I've eaten. Did you sleep well? Not really. Call someone. These are the, I even have a list of the people to call because there are unfortunately people who I have tried to call in the past and they're not they're not the right people to call. Mm -hmm. They don't yeah. offer this, the support the that I need. Yeah. And I love them. I yeah. love the people. Like, I love these people. I have nothing against them, but I know who my people are. Well, I know who to in, call. In those moments, you there's something you, you need to hear something in a certain yeah. way, right? And yeah. so some people exactly. can buy that, some people can't. I yeah, love that. Absolutely. Because I feel like I am I'm starting to learn my triggers. Like I just start to feel, I describe like for me, I just start to feel my anxiety just pop up. Yeah. And yeah. it's different situations lately. And then there are many, many situations like smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, this is really helpful for me because I think that's what I need to start to, I'm starting to recognize the moments and yeah. I'm starting to take stock, but I don't, I haven't developed a, a strategy to respond. Yeah. In those. Yeah. And that's why I have those lists, right? And it was trial and error, you know, being like, oh, I haven't eaten. So that might be why I feel like this, you know, like, why am I getting anxious? So in the morning, like in, in my mornings, you know, I get up and I have like a pre-breakfast. My stomach is kind of unsettled every morning. So I'll have like a sliced up apple as my pre-breakfast to get things going. And then sometimes I get to doing tasks or work tasks and then I start to feel scattered and I'm like, why am I so irritated by everything? And I'm like, oh, because I haven't had actual Before you attach to this anxiety, before you attach and really start to investigate like what this, this anxious feeling is, go eat. And if you still feel anxious after you've eaten, then we'll address this. And like, yeah. honestly, nine times out of 10, it's just because I needed to eat. And it sounds silly, but that it's is something your, that will dysregulate sugar, your nervous right? system. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we have, I know my, it's so funny, my husband hates raisins. And that's because he gets hangry. And so does one of my three children there. They get really mm -hmm. hangry and they don't know where. But I, my mother-in-law used to always carry raisins in her purse. Uh, yeah. And always have it for him because he would get, you know, dysregulated. But now he's like, I could never have a raisin again and be fine. But I think about Dominic, my 13-year-old. Kelly knows I was on this hunt for protein drinks because yeah. growing at an incredibly rapid pace, 
and I think and he's an athlete and I'm and I'm like you're hangry half the time like just and hormones drink this yeah yeah and I'm like (laughs) drink this and then talk to me you know it's like how can he intake calories quickly and then you can talk to me absolutely he's not because he's not aware of it he is not aware of it at all yet but hopefully you know I think that's what we're talking about with like breaking cycles and changing things and like tuning into our bodies and like hey let's take a minute just why don't why don't we eat first and then see how you feel and we can guide others on that journey as well yeah like for like I said I didn't learn about any of this stuff till I was 43 but I feel like this is stuff that kids should be learning and I'm not saying they need to read the sciencey books that I've read or that you've read but just sort of introducing that tuning in to your body as a young Mm -hmm. child so that when they do get old enough to read these books and really understand them, they already have that background of tuning into their bodies and then being able to having the tools like to self-regulate before they become an adult who can't deal with even the smallest inconvenience without their nervous system spiking through the roof and just go into a tailspin of all kinds of crazy stuff and sleepless nights and all the things that at least Mm -hmm. for me that I have been unable to kind of process yeah things yeah right and I I have struggles with insomnia as as well and I've had to be I finally was like I'm done with this and I got really strict about my sleep hygiene because I knew that the things I was doing before bed mm-hmm. and in the mornings were dysregulating my nervous system, which directly related to my quality of sleep. Did and you read since- Dr. Walker's Why We Sleep? No, I didn't. I you can just in, we'll just send you. We list. have like a, a two-part podcast on it. We'll send it to okay, you, I think. Perfect. But it is like the core so much of what and we and we what how to be well it's it's eat and then sleep right he says the number one thing is what you put in your body and then sleep and sleep is at the core of of everything for sure for our physical and mental well-being 100 percent yeah yeah i have no coping skills when i am exhausted i have zero coping skills it doesn't matter doesn't matter if i've even eaten if i am tired i have no coping skills right? I just, yeah. So I hear you. And I got real strict with my sleep hygiene and it has made a world of difference. And if I get off track with my sleep hygiene, it immediately presents itself as insomnia or It's it's critical. It's so critical. Even my, so my, my daughter had a test. Was it today? Anyway, she was having a test and I go, what's number one thing we can do to have, to do your bathroom test? She's like, get sleep. And I was like, get sleep. I'm like, because they know, right? Like, if you look at the research, if you want to perform your best the next day, whatever your performance is, it's sleep. It's yeah. just so critical. I think when we're not meeting our basic needs, then we're not in a position to be able to be using those higher levels of our thought process to be able to do the investigation. Engaging our parasympathetic nervous system is so key to our healing process and why do you think specifically for you yoga kind of speaks to you and how did that kind of come about for you 
Well, I originally started taking yoga back in 2015 as a way to sort of like maintain the or or at least even out the damage I was doing to my body through dancing. And then at some point, it was only like two or three months into my yoga journey, I realized that it wasn't about the physical practice of yoga. Like, yes, I was doing that, but that wasn't what was changing things about me. It was that it turned my brain off. Focusing on the physical practice turned my brain off for an hour, an hour and a half, however long the class was. And it enabled me to kind of be still in my body. Even though I was moving, Mm -hmm. it just stilled things in my mind. And I was like, this isn't about the physical body. This is about like the mental, the emotional, like the spiritual body. Like this is what yoga is. So that was kind of my first inkling that yoga was a lot more than just the physical practice. And then, of course, when I got into teacher training, they really dive deep into that. The physical practice is like one eighth of what yoga is really about. And also through the nervous system knowledge that I've acquired you really can't communicate to your nervous system with your thoughts and rationale. The nervous system communicates to your survival brain, which doesn't communicate in that way with words and thoughts and rationalizations and all that stuff. You have to communicate to your nervous system through the physical body, right? Through breath work, through physical activity, through connection with other humans. Those things are all felt in the body, um, felt in the nervous system. And that's why yoga is just it, uncom- it it encompasses everything. You've got the breath work, you've got the physical activity, you've got the social connection in class. I mean, it just checks all the boxes. So that's why I li- like yoga. But easily you could translate that into Pilates or if you go to a gym or you run with a group of people. For me, it's it's yoga. Being a dancer it's almost like doing choreography, right? But it's alignment based and it doesn't injure you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very true. And was that helpful? And so you had already been practicing for quite a while. And so was that helpful for you in healing from trauma? Oh, my God. It was life saving. And I mean that very, very literally. So three weeks before the pandemic is when this really traumatic event happened in my life. And I actually didn't sign myself up for yoga teacher training. I have an excellent tribe of friends that I didn't realize I had. I knew I had these close friends. I did not realize how valuable they would be in my life. So they all came together, basically saved my life. And two of them signed me up for yoga teacher training. They're like, just show up on next Tuesday. And this is what you're doing for the next eight weeks of your life. And the practice of we practiced like three or four times a week, three or four times a week. As the pandemic hit, we eventually took the classes online, but we still practiced every session. We had three sessions a week and that accompanied by the other modules like the yoga philosophy, yoga history, anatomy, all that stuff just saved my life. I was in a very, very dark place. I was a different person than I am right now. Like when I think about that poor girl, I was four year, almost four years ago. I just want to like hug her and be like, I promise everything is going to be okay. Just wait, just wait. Was your instinct to isolate? 
and pull in yeah. then? Yeah. Yeah. I had, and, and I, again, I had a tribe of friends who wouldn't let that happen. Think I had about to, how damaging and horrible that would have been going into the pandemic and yes. you just sitting by yourself and no one yeah. knowing what was going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would have been, I don't know that I would have been here today. But like I said, I had a tribe of friends who wouldn't let that happen. I moved in with a friend of mine, but for the first week after this this event, I I had to wait for her to come back into town so that I could move in with her. So I stayed with another friend of mine who literally made sure a human being was with me 24-7, which means she slept with me at night. And then if she had to go to work the next evening or whatever, she made sure that somebody was in the house with me. Like, I can't even... I don't even know how I would repay that to these people other than like paying it forward to someone yeah. else in this situation, which is what I want to do with all this information right. and all this knowledge I have with the nervous system. But yeah, the pandemic actually ended up being the best thing for yeah. me because when you go through trauma, when you experience grief, a devastating loss or anything like that, all anyone wants is for the world to stop. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Stop. Let me heal and process, and then I'll get back on this ride. But that almost never happens. I just happened to get lucky that the world came to a literal yeah. halt so yeah. that I could stop and heal and process. Most and people don't get that opportunity. That reinforces all of our listeners. And Kelly and I have talked about this a little bit. But like when something happens to someone we love, we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so we send a text and we say, let me yeah. know if you need anything force your way in in a respectful yeah yeah of course way of like force your way in so I give an example of our friend Teresa we lost her sister last year and I and she was like I'm a mess don't come over right and I was like okay so I'm gonna just come by your house and I'm gonna drop off a coffee and I was gonna sit on your porch and if you want to open your door you can open your door but don't open. you know what I mean and it was like that felt so good because in the past I've done the like text me if you need anything and that didn't feel right with me mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kelly talked about a friend who experienced loss and how she she shipped them like they were out of state and like shipped them groceries and little things to care for themselves. But I think that reinforces, you know, we are social creatures and we need to be around others. And so when we know someone's hurting, you can provide help and support again in a loving way. But like our instinct is to isolate, which is the opposite of what we need. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's fine to curl up in, in a ball and hide under your covers if that's what you need. But also, after a while, the brain, your nervous system just sort of stays in that state and forgets yeah. that it needs connection. And mm -hmm. then not only does it forget that, you are unable to reach out for connection, right? So, and then I agree with you, though. The ask, okay, just let me know if you need anything. I don't know what I need. I'm right. grieving. Mm, I yeah, literally can't even tell you what I need right now. Yeah. And I did have a couple of people when I was going through that, like in, in those first few weeks would be like, hey, let me know if you need anything. What can I do? What do you need right now? And I would be like, I don't know. Why are you asking me? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Because it puts, because what that does, and I think I had read something, it, it, then that's putting on your plate. So you're already yeah. overwhelmed and don't to do. And then they're telling, tell me what to do. So that goes on your to-do list of, oh, I need to tell them. Yeah, what to no, do and like, just me. do something. And so right, um, right. now it's just I'm going to come over and I'm going to sit in your house. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. going to be here. Right. You don't have to talk to me. Go be up right. in your bed, but I am in yeah. the house. Yeah. Right. I'm in here or I'm sending you groceries. I'm sending you food. 
time. And I have I have another set of friends, this this couple of friends, they live in New York. And if they know I'm having a difficult day, like with my dad, like if something's, you know, emergency room visit or whatever, they literally text me and they're like, we're ordering DoorDash for you. Do you want this one, this one, or this one? Because of course they have my favorite restaurants yeah, listed and they're like, we're yeah. sending you DoorDash. Yeah. So it's, and that stuff is just so helpful because again, when you're in those states, whether it's like super high activation, mm-hmm. sympathetic nervous system, or you're super low activation where you're depressed and shut down, your thinking rational brain isn't online. So when people ask you questions, you're just like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I can't answer that. I really feel like I was just running around for the first, I don't know, 40 years of my <laughs> life, heightened and totally emotional. I read the the book Sensitive is a New Strong, and it was about being an empath. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just absorbing everybody's energy and just running around. Yes. And everyone was saying I was so emotional and so sensitive, and I didn't have the tools to be able to bring myself back down to homeostasis. Yeah. You had mentioned that you were doing yoga instruction. And then what else did you say you were doing? Some kind of coaching? Nervous system resilience coaching. So basically teaching people how to create more resilience in their nervous system using tools like yoga, meditation, breathing, and also just recognizing, getting in tune with yourself so deeply that you know, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And normally this thing activates me and stresses me out. So prior to that, I'm going to do these things to get myself in a more regulated system. It's not just recognizing in the moment that you're stressed out. It's knowing yourself so deeply that you know this event is going to trigger anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so being proactive. So the night before taking a relaxing bath, or going for a walk or whatever that is. And then also having something on the back end of that stressful event to regulate yourself. Again, that's important to me. It's not just being able to regulate your response in the midst of it. It's setting yourself up for success before and then helping yourself calm down after or process that response after, right? It's like this whole cycle yeah uh, that you have to complete and I love that too because and sometimes those moments you keep mentally reliving (laughs) things right so maybe that's part of is that part of it too or like if you have this block of time afterwards it helps Mm kind of complete that cycle absolutely absolutely so when I go out of town I know that when I come back I'm going to be a little bit out of sorts So what I do before I go out of town is I wash all the sheets in my bed. I wash my towels. I make my bed. I clean up the house so that when I come home from my trip, I'm getting into fresh, smell good sheets. I have towels that smell good. My house is beautifully clean. And then I make sure when I come back from whatever trip I'm on, even if it's just a couple of days, I have a buffer day or two, depending on the length of the vacation between coming back from the trip and going back to work and being busy and and whatever. And I usually one of those days, I will plan to get together with a friend of mine to have that social interaction. So I'm preparing yeah. myself before the trip and I'm preparing myself for when I get back afterwards and I'm feeling a little bit out of sorts because I've been on this amazing trip or vacation and I don't just want to go back 
throw my, I know my nervous system well enough to know that if I have to work the next day after a trip, I'm going to get activated. I'm going to be dysregulated. So I take care of myself that way. I set those boundaries for myself. I love all these strategies that you have are so great. (laughs) I mean, it's taken, you know, obviously I've read stuff and then just sort of incorporated that in, you know, my list of how to keep myself from losing my mind when my dad ends up in the hospital, just knowing my nervous system and not, not feeling guilty about needing that extra day. Right. Like, cause you know, somewhere in the back of my perfectionist mind, I'm like, oh my God, you don't need a day in between vacations. You can just go back to work. It's not like you have that hard of a job, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but this is my nervous system and this is what it needs. And I'm going to give it what it needs. So you've talked about deep breathing. You've talked about yoga. What are some other things we're busy moms and we're stressed out and we're driving and we're in fight or flight? What is a quick thing maybe we can do to engage our nervous system? Well, maybe don't do this in your car. (laughs) I do a lot of stuff I'm not supposed to in the car. Like when I listen to a meditation, they're like, don't do this in your car. while you're driving. Yeah. (laughs) I like grounding techniques. Okay. Uh, I like grounding techniques. It's so literal. It's exactly what it sounds like. So if you're sitting somewhere, and honestly, you could do this while you You get out of your car, Jess, while you're sitting out. Yeah. (laughs) And just sort of feeling the surfaces, you know, like if you have your feet on the floor and you're sitting in a chair, so your feet are touching the floor, the backs of your legs are touching the chair, your back body is touching that, maybe your arms. And so starting maybe from your feet and working your way up is a good way. Just feel the surfaces under your body, feel how they feel. Are they firm? Do they have some give? And then work your way up. I'm sitting on this chair. It's soft. It's got some give. It feels velvety. So like literal grounding, like noticing the sensations and the surfaces under your body. An exercise I really like to do that works for me is noticing sounds. And I start off by noticing the sounds that are closest to me, like maybe my own breathing. And then I notice a sound that's a little bit further away. So maybe like my dog's breathing or if they're chewing on a toy, I'm noticing that. And then I noticed the sound a little bit further away. So maybe my, uh, you know, Amazon Alexa Echo thingy is playing music quietly. So I listen to that. Or maybe I notice the dishwasher. And then gradually I start to try and hear sounds farther and farther away. And, and I see how far away I can hear a sound, right? So I'm using that sense to get myself back into my body, back to any kind of sensation or sense in my body. So those are kind of quick things. If you need to get your frontal lobe back online, I've heard this technique. I haven't used it yet, but just thinking of rhyming words. So Mm. words that rhyme with cat and then just trying to get that, that frontal lobe thinking again. Or what was the other one? Oh, listing like president's names or state capitals names, just something That's not super difficult, but that you can kind of do by rote that gets that part of your brain online. One of the the suggested exercises was to count backwards from 107s. And I was like, I got to 93 and now I'm stressed out because I hate (laughs) math. So this is not one that's going to work for me. I'm like 100, 93. That's it. I'm done. So, and like I said, not everything works for every single person and not everything works for every single person every time. 
It's finding the things that work the most often for you, but then noticing that this might not work in this situation. So like if I'm doing the rhyming thing and I still notice that I'm anxious, it's not working. So I'm going to move on to breath work or I'm going to move on to grounding or I'm going to call a friend. Yeah. That's one of my biggest things that I use. One of my biggest tools is calling somebody. I have a couple of friends where I'm like, can I call and scream? And immediately I just call them and I'm like, oh my God, and this happened and this is frustrating and I'm so pissed off and they just let me rant and that's it. Yeah. And then it's out of my body, right? It's out of my body because I vented and I've screamed and I've been irrational and they never say, well, maybe have you considered none of that. They just let me scream and I do the same for them. They'll be like, I need to scream. And I'm like, call me right up. Yeah. And it's, it makes a huge difference because by the time I get to where I'm going, maybe this frustrating situation is still frustrating, but I have gotten some of it out of my body. And so yeah. I have regulated myself with somebody else's nervous system. Yeah, I think that connection is so key. I used to work um, with abuse and neglected children and I would, my my husband is like Kelly and he wants to live in a land of rainbows and unicorns and he doesn't <laughs> want to hear it. But my mom, our mom is a nurse. And so I could call her and just talk a little bit. So that was my routine Mm -hmm. on my way home to decompress out of all the, you know, really horrible stuff and the work that we were doing. I could at least just talk to someone to kind of get Uh it out of my brain. Mm -hmm. And also I would kind of process what the hell just Mm -hmm. happened the last eight to 10 hours and and have that human connection with someone to just listen, right? To listen get us a chance to wrap our brain about about yeah. what's going on someone um, who's not trying to fix the situation yeah mm-hmm. yeah one thing i'm hearing is we need to make sure that in our tribe we've got some good listeners and if we don't have some good listeners that's that's a new friend we could be looking for in yes. 2024 is a good I'd listener mm-hmm. um what are some tips for for some of us that maybe want to get started in a yoga with a yoga practice just do it take a leap but If you are really intimidated by the thought of walking into a class, private lessons are the way to go. Initially, I really, really, not that I want to detract from private lessons because they are really helpful and really good because they are one-on-one, but I really think group classes are so beneficial for that social interaction. You're literally regulating your nervous system with eight, nine other people in the room who are like-minded people. They're there for maybe not the exact same reason you are, but for the health, the mental health benefits of yoga. And you just develop a community that way. So find those places. If you're intimidated, set up a couple of private lessons where you can just say, hey, I am brand new to yoga. Can you teach me the terminology? Can you teach me the basics? Can you help me practice for my own anatomy, yeah. right? Not yeah. for handstand person's anatomy or Cirque du Soleil person's anatomy. Yeah. And that way, when they get to class, they'll hear the terminology. They're not going to memorize it right off the bat, even yeah. from the first few privates, but they'll hear Warrior One and they'll be like, oh, yeah. Or they'll hear Warrior Two and they'll be like, I remember what this looks like, kind yeah. of. Yeah. So that can be really helpful because I think. Half the problem is walking into a class and you hear all this terminology and a lot of yoga teachers will use Sanskrit alongside of the English words, but it's still intimidating to hear 
a different language that no one yeah. really speaks anymore. And then to see all these people in the room who are practicing, who, you know, look like they're advanced or maybe they are advanced, you know, that can be really, really intimidating. Take a friend with you. Take a friend with you who either is a beginner as well or find a friend who has done yoga before and then go to classes with them a few times and then have them show you some yoga postures. Mm -hmm. Like this is what warrior one looks like. This is what warrior two looks like. Anyone who's starting out in yoga should tell the yoga teacher, I'm a beginner. These are my issues. I've had knee surgery Mm -hmm. or I've had neck surgery or I have chronic low back Mm -hmm. pain. Yeah. And a good yoga teacher will know absolutely how to yes, suggest that's a great different yeah. shapes, different postures, right? Yeah. Modifications of things. Mm-hmm. There's different things. Like I said, yin restorative. There's gentle flow, which is like vinyasa, but really gentle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's yoga for everyone and everybody. And you do not have to be flexible. This was so good. I don't know if you're experiencing that way, but the nervous system is getting like a lot of buzz right now. People are talking about it so much more now and us in the mental health field we've been talking about for a long time. And I love that this information is getting out there. Our body is holding on to stuff, right? And yes. um, our and our brain may not know it. And so we've got to to care for our body and love our body. That is the journey that we're talking about, right? Is self-awareness. Absolutely. Being responsive in the moment and not reactive, right? Taking a beat or two, knowing what's going on in your nervous system, being like, okay, I'm angry. That's how my nervous system is reacting, but I'm not going to respond the way that my nervous system is maybe wanting to respond. I'm going to take the time to think about how I want to respond. And that's the difference. And that's how you begin to rewire your nervous system, build new neural pathways instead of just, like you said, walking around and reacting, knowing that your nervous system is reacting this way. And but the deciding your response because you've taken 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, giving yourself yeah. some space to decide your response rather than letting your nervous system decide your response. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Today. I this could has talk been about awesome. this stuff forever. <laughs> I know. Me yeah. too. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. And while you're there, it would be great if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at ChasingBrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.